Hi, welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's Julie, and time for another of our little uh, conversations about what we've been reading, what we're going to read, what you've been reading, all that fun stuff. Today, I'm going to let you go first because uh, you've read more than I have. That may be a uh, one-off, but we'll enjoy it while we've got it. Uh, I do want to thank Andy for reaching out and sending some good info on my presidential biography quest. We'll discuss that a little more once I've finished David McCulloch's Outstanding John Adams, about uh, two-thirds of the way through, but I'll wait until I'm three-thirds to talk about it. (laughs) But I did have a couple of things I read in addition to the common read that we'll dip into at a little more leisure. Uh, One was Shades of Glory. Excuse me. <coughs> the Negro Leagues and the Story of African American Baseball. Uh, it's Lawrence D. Hogan is the guy whose name's on the front, but it was kind of a tag team effort. Every chapter has different authors. Um, it was a good read. The one caveat I have to put on this, which I put on everything I've read about the Negro Leagues, the Negro Leagues doesn't have a nice orderly umbrella under which everything fits. It's not like a history of Major League Baseball where you've got the two leagues and eight teams per league. And, you know, the Negro Leagues, leagues came and went. You had teams out of the Caribbean. You had big hotels in Florida that ran leagues in the winter. You had leagues out in the prairies in North Dakota. You know, trying to figure out what there even is to talk about is half the battle. So the books that exist on this tend to be focused more on the personalities uh, than, you know, there's no pennant race in, in many of these cases to document. You're left more talking about Satchel Page and Josh Gibson, uh, and deservedly so. But I, I still... I want to get the Negro League book that manages to wrap it all together. I've got another one on my list that I'm really excited about, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. What I want to do is go to the Negro League Museum in Kansas City. What What is the actual name of it? Um, I think it is like the Negro League Baseball Museum, and it's my understanding is it's like Caddy Corner with the American Jazz Museum, so we'll have to... Uh, do a double header visit on that. We've got oh, some cool. family about a hundred miles away now, so that uh, that should work out neatly in this uh, post-COVID era that we're all looking forward to. Um, another thing that I was looking forward to was the Wrap Yearbook by Shea <laughs> Serrano. You were not looking forward to that. Well, actually, I kind of was. My <laughs> our son wanted to uh, read it because it's got a really cool looking cover, and he thought, "Oh, maybe this will be good." But he's he's eight, so. Uh, it, it didn't quite happen for him, but I read it and, and this was a fun book. Uh, I like Shea's basketball book a lot. It's basketball and other things. And he uses his kind of irreverent style to dip into the history of rap. What he does is he goes through every year from 1979 up through, I think 2014, I think he wrote the book in 2015 and he picks the most, uh, significant rap song of the year kind of goes through and does a little essay about the song and the artist and what made it special. Um, a lot of graphics, a lot of cool stuff to look at. The one thing that saddens me is, is I read it and, you know, he starts in 1979. So I'm with him through the eighties and the nineties. And I remember these songs and I remember most of these artists. And then about 2002, 2003, about the time (laughs) I graduated college, uh, it all just kind of trickles away from me. And I'm like, <laughs> either I don't know who that is, or I know faintly who that is. 
but I don't care. Uh, so I'm, I'm left being the old man shaking a stick and talking <laughs> about how the darn kids have to get off my lawn and how it was better back in the olden days. Uh, did you at least find anything that would be useful to our son in his constant quest for rap music that is clean enough for him to actually hear? No, sadly, quite the <laughs> alternative. I did find a nice uh, construct of how felonious the various songs are. Serrano has a great uh, graphic with each chapter where it goes into, you know, this particular song. Is it boastful? Is it criminal? Is it involve drugs? Does it involve sex? Uh you know, whatever, and usually most, if not all, of the boxes are checked. So it's probably a good uh, manual on why he doesn't need to listen to a lot of these songs. But, you know, someday he'll grow into it as we keep telling him. Although, I don't Delightful, know. Delightful, so. Hopefully the, the pre-2002 or three stuff, because I at least faintly know what that is. So. Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. I read, the first book I read was The Austin Escape by Catherine Ray. Um, I absolutely love this author. She, all of her books are really fun. Characters are very relatable. She writes a lot of books that um, are kind of riffs off classic literature, not always just retellings. Like this one is not a retelling, um, but they just play heavily with the themes and the characters and the ideas, which if you know those, definitely enriches your understanding of what she's saying and then her your enjoyment of it but you don't have to know anything about them to read and really like these books um austin is obviously a big favorite of hers this one the austin escape she's also got one called dear mr knightley she's got one called i believe lizzie and jane um i've read several of these it's hard for me to remember all the ones Exactly. She also um, went into the Brontes with the Bronte plot, which is on my list. I want to read that one, too. Um, but just really, really fun, really interesting. Um, again, so relatable. This particular book is about two longtime friends who have quite a history together. One invites the other to come to Bath, England for this um, essentially kind of Austin reenactment at a mansion there. And um, once they are there... This friend loses her memory, believes that she is actually in Jane Austen's England, and longtime secrets between the two of these girls come out that go on to affect their future. Um, thoroughly enjoyed this book. If you follow me on my personal Instagram, you will see her name come up quite a lot. Um, she has a really cool Instagram account herself. She and friends of hers also run an online book club called What the Dickens Book Club. It um, has an Instagram account if you're interested in it, but the book club itself actually runs on Facebook. They pick a different classic novel every month. They did, oh, they did some Jane Austen. They did um, Great Expectations. They've just done a lot of things and following the discussions on those is really cool. I will confess that I have not usually reread the books with them, but I do like to see what people are saying about them. I'm a lurker, but I just, I like to see what people are saying. I like to be in any way a part of those kinds of conversations. Now that's something that uh, I do genuinely regret that I don't do more of. Of course, you know, I was an English major. I, I read a lot of these classic novels, but there's still a lot of holes in my reading background that I've just, I, I haven't filled in. I, you know, you guys know now about my ongoing presidential biography thing. I'm also doing the works of William Faulkner, who I love dearly, but that's so slow. I mean, I've, I've been doing this for several years. 
and there's like five volumes of the novels and then a couple more of the short stories. And I think I started the third volume of the novels, but you know, they're, they're so dense. It's, it's so much work. Whereas it's fun to read a nice, quick, easy escape book like that. So, well, I'm not down for Faulkner, but I would be willing to do a different kind of classic reading challenge with you where maybe we pick <laughs> some and read together I'm thinking of Annie Jones of the Bookshelf in Thomasville, Georgia, her mm-hmm. podcast from the front porch. She and a friend of hers read a um, piece of classic literature every year. Last year they did Anna Karenina. This year they're going to do Middlemarch. I have read neither of those books. I, mean, I have read Middlemarch. There yeah. are things that I would just like to pick up that I'd like to kind of go back and things that I'd like to reread. I want to reread Les Mis, but I want to read it with somebody, yeah. you know, because yeah. I just read it by myself that time. There's still Dickens that I haven't read. David oh, Copperfield. Yeah, I mean, oh, that I, is criminal. Yeah. So, I mean, but I want to read it with somebody. I'm tired of reading the stuff by myself. So yeah. maybe well, we can put our heads together. Maybe we could do it. Of course, the other thing that I have to mention, just because it, it needs cataloged here, is that your love of books has caused you physical pain here recently. Uh, the other morning, <laughs> no, stumbling this is around. Not my love of books. <laughs> well, it's my love of books, but <laughs> but uh, stumbling around in the dark, you managed to stump your toe. On a on, big pile of books that you had right well, by the bed. And specifically cut to the chase by Alan Cutler. <laughs> uh, I enjoy Alan. I can't wait to read his book. But I think you broke your toe. You have I this nice swollen toe. purple yes. toe now. and uh, <laughs> I'm not real thrilled with Alan Cutler at this no. moment. Nor am I really thrilled with you. So <laughs> my, my favorite part of the whole thing was when we were having a text conversation about this. And you said... Alan Cutler, he ruined Billy Gillespie's life, and now he's ruined mine. <laughs> of course, Cutler's most famous. He was the guy who chased uh, Billy Gillespie down the hall uh, on the day he was fired as Kentucky's basketball coach. Gillespie tried to run away from him, and Cutler, you know, thus cut to the chase is his book, but he, he jogged down the hall in pursuit of Gillespie. Yes, so. and I did blame him, but I mostly blame you. I don't know. On the bright side, I know Alan is a very uh, uh, health-conscious eater. I see him eating good, healthy things, so maybe I can get Alan to send us a recipe to try to smooth the waters. That uh, is, is fairly verbose book. If, if it was a thinner book, Alan, you might not have, have uh, inflicted so much damage, but I'm yes, looking forward to reading As our children po- point out, you had just put it on the shelf, no damage. They did. They pointed that out very quickly. <laughs> they They enjoyed that. All right. So The Austin Escape by Catherine Ray was my first book for the last two weeks. The second book that I read this week is the one that we're going to talk about together. It's called Jesus and John Wayne, How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation. It's by Kristen Cobes Dumay. Yeah, uh, a super interesting book. Um, You know, the old uh, go-to is that you can't talk about... um, politics, religion, or sex, and I guess she really, it's more politics, religion, and gender, but she might have bagged the trifecta on this, but, you know, an important book, a a book uh, that we're in a time where, I mean, the fact that you could say, let's have a book where we're talking about these things together shows how interwoven they've become, and I was really impressed with her research. I thought she did a phenomenal job of bringing together the strands of how, you know, starting in post-World War II up through the 60s and 70s, um, you know, the the uh, far right managed to get a, a foothold in evangelical Christianity and use that to uh, 
give prominence to uh, some ideas that weren't terribly Christian and some politicians who weren't terribly Christian managed to jump on board that and, and kind of hijack it for their own thing. Her research really, really was very good. Um, there were a lot of these things that I really was unaware of being a child at the time. Um, but a lot of things were things that had either been right in the center of my vision or on the periphery over the past, you know, 20 to 30 years. And um, they're disturbing things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things where, you know, my dad, uh, really, when I was a kid, I, I distinctly remember him kind of having a word of caution on this stuff because his his mom was a big uh, fan, of one of the early fans of Pat Robertson, uh and the 700 club and all that kind of stuff they talk about right. in here. And he was very wary of it. And he just always kind of said, you know, my, my dad is one of the people who's from that, that generation. He kind of became an adult around the time of Watergate. And there's that great uh, movie about Watergate, all the president's men. And the, we the, talked about it here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the tagline was follow the money. And, and that was kind of the approach he brought to this. He had a real problem, uh, and still does, uh, with the commercialization of faith. Um, and, and there are a lot of interesting things like that. She, she spent a while talking, for instance, about Lifeway and how Lifeway, you know, is affiliated with Southern Baptist Convention. And, and thus you get the interesting decisions about what is uh, sufficiently Christian to be carried by Lifeway and thus to get a massive sales boost and what isn't. And, you know, he, somebody decided Sarah Palin was cool and Rachel Held Evans wasn't and not necessarily decisions I would have made. And obviously somebody's got to make them. But, but uh, when all these things get intertwined, it's not, you know, like, okay, Barnes & Noble decides it's not going to carry book X. This is different. Right. It works in a whole different way, and it has interesting implications. For the content that people pick up and consume and what they think is automatically stamped as good and what is not. Well, and it's kind of a scary thing to me in that, you know, I would like to think that within the context of, of discussion of Christian issues and thoughts. Um, we could be a, a big enough world to have room for ideas, to have room to say, I differ from you on this, but that doesn't mean you, your book shouldn't be at Lifeway and mine should. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it means put them in there and, and let people read them and think about them and sort them out. Um, and a book like this is a big part of sorting it out. And we don't necessarily do any credit uh, to anything, our, our faith, our country, our world, if we pretend that the intersections of you know, culture and politics and religion and commercialism uh, don't have anything to do with each other. They obviously do. And so a book like this is an important book because it makes you kind of cast a, a watchful eye over these things and say... Look at where all these things are connected yeah. and then decide where that's right and where that's wrong. Well, and everybody, I think, has their, their jumping off points. I mean, you and I talked about, for instance, a name that only came up briefly in this book is Russell Moore. And I'm somewhat, like my father, wary of, of a lot of this stuff. But Russell Moore is a guy who I always think of as a person of integrity. I, I've, I've read some of his stuff. I had a lot of respect for his messages and the way that he delivered them. Um, and I think he's 
somewhat credible. He's he's somebody who I, I still, despite the fact that he's kind of plopped down in this, he's somebody I, I still, uh, you know, keep up with. But you do that because of the fruit. You do that because of sure. what he says and how he reacts to um, political situations. It's not like you are just going to say, okay, you know, Russell Moore agreed with me on this, therefore Russell Moore must be Jesus's ambassador. Right. We must still watch. That's kind of the point of this book, I think, one of the big Mm -hmm. points of this book, Mm -hmm. that we're supposed to examine not just our beliefs and why we believe those things um, against what the Bible says, like compare what we're thinking with what the Bible says to see if we're on track. We're also supposed to be comparing what do the leaders of our faith say and how does it match up and always be comparing that always be checking that and thinking it through it's never okay to just be like okay we're done you've agreed with me once now we're through i believe it was bob dylan who said don't follow (laughs) leaders watch the parking meters (laughs) good advice and we had a single (laughs) podcast episode where you did not bring up is there a day is there an hour where a bob dylan quote doesn't come into my mind no probably not but it's a sickness i have and i'm i'm dealing (laughs) <laughs> so, so mention where this came from, uh, why we came oh, to be reading this. Oh, we picked this. up this book anyway. We owe thanks to our friend Haley Holcomb, who is um, a giant reader. She, I, I've gotten so many great book recommendations from her. I really, mm-hmm. I want to read everything that she mentions. So you should totally check her out on Instagram. She is the Lazy Bookshelf. She has magnificent um, reading recommendations in all kinds of genres. Um, But she suggested this book. She was also reading it, too, and then saying some things that she thought about it on Instagram, which is just, that's the kind of thing that that I want to see, the kind of thing that I think, again, this book points to, the idea that whatever your um, beliefs are, we ought to be able to talk about them, lay them out, discuss them. Well, like we, you were just saying. We've got to have some awkward conversations, and, and maybe this is one of them, but, uh, <laughs> but you know... It, it, if these things matter, and I think they they matter, you're, where what direction your country is going in matters. What direction your your religious denomination or your church is going in certainly matters. It does, and this for as a Christian was a difficult book to read, um, but an important book to read because we have to keep our eyes on this. Part of the reason I think anyway that um, our country and um, that our country is in the state that it's in, the division and the argumentativeness and all those kinds of things is because there are so many things that we don't want to really dig into and look at the roots of. Yeah. We don't want to see why things are the way they are because it's, it's painful and it's hard to deal with the mistakes that were made in the past, whether they were our mistakes or somebody else's. And whose mistakes they are doesn't really matter. We're the ones who have to deal with those things right now. So we really do need to be willing to go back and look and say, where did this start? Let's root it out. And now let's start to do it right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, props to Kristen uh, Dumay for a really interesting book. Uh, And also, I think, hope that the title is a nod to Warren Zevon. (laughs) Of course, the, uh, the great song, My Ride's Here. I was staying at the Marriott with Jesus and John Wayne. So uh, shout out to the late Warren Zevon. If you don't know his stuff, you should. And Bruce Springsteen did a phenomenal cover 
of my rides here, which is probably even better than Warren's I was about to say, am I a heretic if I say that I prefer Springsteen's version? I don't think you're a heretic at all. They're they're both beautiful. Uh, And that's on an album called Enjoy Every Sandwich, which was a posthumous tribute to Warren uh, from Adam Sandler singing Werewolves of London to the aforementioned Great Springsteen cover. There's some other good ones on there, but I'm blanking on on some of my favorites. But Enjoy Every Sandwich is a fantastic title, but we're way off subject here. It is. It is. <laughs> it's a great title. And it was actually something that Warren said on the David Letterman show when he knew he was dying. And, and David said, what What do you know? What What's the secret to life that you have that I don't? And Warren had this like three second pause and said, I guess enjoy every sandwich. And we don't have sandwiches, we have books, but enjoy every book. And thanks for listening and being part of this ongoing conversation. Reach out to us, paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com. That was a nice way to try to bring our divergence th- back onto I the I think the pros call that a segue, but, but for me it was just, there was, a, there was a door at the end of a long hall that said, way out, and I walked toward it. So. You can also find us on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod and on Twitter uh, it is Peaback Readers Pod, I think. I think so I hope. too. It's on. It's, yeah, we we'll update you on that next time. Yeah, we we, we said hi to Andy and Haley this time. Next week, we'll even get the names <laughs> of our social media accounts. Thank you so much for listening and.